Welcome to Season 2 of Mindfulness Off the Cushion. If you're familiar with the challenges of living mindfully and are looking for help in your daily dance with suffering, our goal is to be a resource for you. Once again, we're brought to you by the Austin Mindfulness Center. This moment is brought to you by. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> brought to you by mindfulness. Try mindfulness today. <laughs> and if you act now, and I do mean now, you can have <laughs> mindfulness as well. Side effects may include happiness, joy, bliss, peace. <laughs> Are you suffering from chronic pain, anxiety, trauma, depression? Mindfulness can help you. <laughs> Everything from IBS to you know, death. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Are you feeling dead today? <laughs> All right. Here we are. Thank you once again, Dr. Sears, for joining us on Mindfulness Off the Cushion. Happy to be here, but sad it's the last one. <laughs> yes. Uh, so today we are wrapping up season two. Uh, before we dive in to this final episode, I just want to say thank you once again, Richard, for being such an incredibly important part of our podcast. It's truly been an honor to get to know you and to learn from you uh, on a regular basis. I looked it up the other day and uh, I reached out to you for the first time back in January. Here we are now at June. So anyway, it's been uh, really neat to get to know you and thank you for just being willing to share your wisdom with us uh, on such an important topic. Yeah, it's been really great. I really appreciate the questions you've been asking as well as Claudio. It really gets me thinking, you know, part of what I really enjoy about this is how do we take this process and really translate and make it useful and practical for people. So just the whole theme of your podcast, Mindfulness Off the Cushion, is really great. Yeah. I mentioned in the last episode that uh, I'm starting to see some of the same common themes as we step through the different presenting issues. And I think this is important for me to say, uh, you know, I've really only been studying mindfulness for about a year. And so for me, it has been affirming and confirming for me to see that, okay, I do get it. Maybe I'm perhaps a slow learner, but it's nice to see that, that there's not like yet even more mystery um, it's mindfulness is in fact something that I can grasp and I can embody, right? Yes, rather than a cumulative process where you're adding a bunch of things onto it. If anything, what we're doing with mindfulness is shaving away unnecessary things, getting rid of all the extra stuff to just this moment. It's so simple. I think it's funny that you say, Lance, that you're a slow learner. <laughs> I'm saying you described yourself that way. Yeah. I would actually flip that. I would say that you're a quick learner. You know these themes. The themes are universal. These themes have been discussed for 2,500 plus years. Yeah. So we know the themes. And like Dr. Sears said, is sometimes we get in the way of these core teachings. 
these core themes that are you can you can delve into them shallow and that's going to bring you some benefit but you can also submerge yourself into these themes and really go deep and that's for me that's that's worth it as well so dr sears i want to thank you so much as well for sharing so much of your experience with us you know, I just received my, I just graduated um, three weeks ago with my master's. Oh, congratulations. Congrats. In clinical social work. I uh. take my exam in two weeks uh, to become licensed, and then I'll be doing psychotherapy. And uh, it's awesome to be able to listen and learn from an experienced psychotherapist. Before working in mindfulness, I used to work in film. So I used to work in the entertainment industry. And one thing that Hollywood loves is a happy ending. Yes. (laughs) So in this episode, can we wrap it up? Can we provide a Hollywood ending to all this talk about mindfulness and wrap it up in a nice little bow? Or is it just more complex than that? (laughs) Well, I think our minds make things more complex than it needs to be. Right. You know, and just I can tease Lance a little bit since you threw yourself out there. You know, even to say you're a quick learner or a slow learner, right, is we get caught up in our heads and sometimes trying to figure it all out gets in the way. Yeah. Right. And Zen, they say understanding will not help you and not understanding will not help you (laughs) because there's nothing to get. It's just this, you know, we're always in this moment. Right. But to your point, I think a great topic to add in here would be to talk a little bit about the relationship between mindfulness and happiness. Mm. You know, happiness is one of those concepts that sometimes gets us in trouble. In in fact, Russ Harris once wrote a book called The Happiness Trap, in which he talks about we're we're trying to hold on to some temporary uh, emotion that comes and goes. And the fact is, we don't want to always be happy. You know, when something sad happens, you want to grieve if that's appropriate and give compassion when somebody's suffering. Um, happiness tends to be, we might say, a side effect of being in the moment and enjoying something or appreciating it. And we've been talking a lot in the past few episodes on using mindfulness to get us through tough times, but it really enriches our present moments, right? It's like, um, when we live in our heads, we have a verbal representation of reality. When you open your eyes and dive in, we've got this four-dimensional reality that's so much richer than our thinking. So not to say that everything turns into a happy moment, but as we expand our ability to be present with uncomfortable feelings, we also expand our ability to really feel joy and passion and compassion, the the pleasant feelings as we expand our capacity. And so to really laugh when it's time to laugh and to really appreciate the beauty of a sunset, to really be present um, with the people around you, you know, can just enrich our lives. It's unbelievable that we tend to skip over those moments so quickly. Yeah. These, let's say, moments worth savoring, we do not savor. And what I'm hearing is that through this practice, it does allow us to savor what is right with us in this moment. Yes. John Kabat-Zinn once said, as long as you're breathing, there's more right with you than wrong with you. 
Right. Yeah. And, you know, that's not to dismiss all the challenges, but wow, we take so much for granted. If you've ever been deprived of your health or good place to live or good food or whatever it might be, you know, the simple things take on such pleasure when you slow down and appreciate that you have them. One of the things that we've done is you have honored us with a number of guided meditations uh, in between each of our interviews with you. And so thank you once again for doing that. On the flip side of that coin, though, are the exercises that we can do off of the cushion. And just as a quick reminder, perhaps for some of our newer listeners, when we say off the cushion, we're really talking about 99% of our day when we're not sitting perhaps with our eyes closed and, and practicing what's called a formal meditation, a formal practice, which is mindfulness meditation. I'd like to ask you, what are some of your favorite informal practices I'm imagining with your ninja training, constantly being in the present moment and being in tune with your senses probably helps in some regard, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we encourage these formal practices like exercise, right? They're ways of training the mind because your mind tends to become what what it's exposed to. So if all you're doing is constantly thinking and constantly worrying about future events and regretting past things. That's what your mind does all the time. So the nice thing about a formal exercise is to just give your mind a new way. It's sort of a reprogramming. But to your point, you know, why do that? As I said, it's like physical exercise. If you go to the gym, we know you're going to be in, in good health. I've seen some people though make the gym their life and then they don't have any relationships or other interests. And you know, that's okay if that's what's fulfilling to them. But we don't have to make mindfulness a separate thing outside of life, right? It's just meant to help us train. And, and as you said, now what do I want to do? What gives me fulfillment and joy and um, what makes my life worth living? And if I can pay attention, first of all, I can ask myself in any given moment. What am I doing right now? Maybe something you're choosing to do, maybe an old automatic pattern, but it's bringing my awareness into this moment. My Zen teacher who recently passed away, you know, said the Zen practice is what do you see, hear, smell, feel, taste, moment after moment after moment. And it's sort of as a mantra, a phrase you can repeat to yourself. What is this? So asking that question brings me to my senses. Where am I right now, basically? What am I experiencing? And it's interesting, at different times, he taught two different ways you could respond to that. One is you can say, what is this? Brings you into the moment. And then you say, don't know. Because thinking about what this is is not what this is. So saying don't know is setting aside the words and just fully experiencing everything right now. The other thing he would say is, what is this? Just this. Mm -hmm. Because we have so much expectation. This should be something different. I'm going somewhere. And, and the reality is I'm always in this moment, whether I notice it or not. And even if I'm going somewhere in the future, I'm doing it in this moment as it's unfolding. So that's a good practice to do. Just what is this? Now, eventually, you don't need the words. 
So you asked me about my own practice. It's funny. I sometimes automatically become mindful. It's a funny thing to say, but <laughs> what I mean is it's now more of a habit. Just pause, you know, look my daughter in the eyes, look my wife in the eyes, just look up at the trees, pet my dog and just pet the dog, not be thinking of, well, gee, I'm petting this dog, but I really have more important things to be doing, you know, um, but just being in each moment as it's unfolding. That is so huge right there. 99% of the times we're not doing formal meditation. And yet there are so many moments in our day. How many moments do we have to pause? A lot of moments. Those are all opportunities to practice being here now with ourselves. And I want to go even further than that because when we do pause, when we feel the here, the presence, and when we begin to savor it and bathe in it and be anchored by it, this creates a stickiness. We go from just living to actually recognizing this moment as something really, really simple yet profound. And this stickiness, it allows itself to be stitched into the neural tapestry of the mind. Not just like sitting and becoming aware of it, but just sitting and bathing in it and soaking it in. Because that's what you're doing in that moment when you're looking into your daughter's eyes. You're not just looking, you are seeing. Yes. Profoundly. Yeah. And it's one of those things where it's so simple, it's hard to put into words, right? Because <laughs> the reality is you're always in this moment, and this is really all that exists. Everything else is a thought or a memory. So sometimes if we think a lot, we're like, oh my gosh, this moment's over, this moment's over, this moment's over. But there's only this moment as you enter into it. It's a vastness, and it's not a stillness necessarily. Mm -hmm. We experience it as a stillness because it's not as frantic as it is in our minds. You can be very active in it. A breakthrough I had in the martial arts was to see everything as as a now moment, even when somebody's flying at me with swords, that it's always just this moment. Now, um, and calculus is coming to my mind. You know, it looks like a curve, but you look for all these point instants. And so early on in the martial arts, it's like, okay, I'm standing here and they're about to punch, and then they punch, and then I'm over here, and then I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this. But there's so much space in between. It's like mm-hmm. the punch is unfolding, and I'm here, and then I've moved over here as oh, they're changing what they're doing as I'm doing it. And in fact, if I'm talking about it, I'm behind because the thoughts are way behind the reality that every moment's unfolding. And so you do things that you could never imagine you could do because you're just following, you're always in the moment. And it reminds me of, you know, that scene in, uh, the matrix. Yeah, the matrix where, you know, the bullets and, he's just, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you can just, it, it seems that slow when you're just fully in the present and you're not trying to think about it. And likewise, you know, just walking down the street or whatever you're doing. See, our minds even want to make a distinction between practice and being off the cushion. And there's no difference, right? It's not a, It's not like there's a different present moment when you're sitting on the cushion than the present moment when you're hugging your friend. Um, it's always now. 
And so we you know, need to keep that in mind. Now, that's not an excuse not to practice. It's helpful. Um, but to take that presence into more of the moments of your day. And let me say too, by the way, don't do this in a compulsive way, right? I have to always be present. You know, there's no, actually that effort is getting in the way because mm-hmm. you're in the present, whether you want to be or not. Um, so it's okay to take a break or, you know, it, it shouldn't feel like it's something you're working at. One of my favorite books by John Kabat-Zinn is Mindfulness for Beginners. And I say that because he is so eloquent at how he defines mindfulness and how he speaks about it. You know, mindfulness is so simple and yet so incredibly challenging. And if you're new at practicing, that might ring as incredibly true. It certainly does for me. And perhaps that's why I like going back to John Kabat-Zinn because he is so eloquent at explaining it. Do you have any uh, particular resources that you go back to on a on a regular basis, Dr. Sears? You know, honestly, Alan Watts is the person I listen to almost every day, as funny as that sounds, since I've been like 15 years old. Um, because I found that, as I said, whatever we expose our minds to, we tend to think that way and become that way. So mm-hmm. you're watching the news all the time. You're going to be angry all the time because that's what the news is designed to get you uh, or worried or upset. Now, I'm not saying ignore that, um, but what else are you exposing your mind to? So what I like about Alan Watts, who uh, he died in the early 70s, but I just it's really amazing just the things he would say. He's got a good sense of humor. He looks at Western culture and Eastern culture and puts it all in a very practical sense, sort of demystifies a lot of the stuff. So that's what I personally enjoy doing. John Cabot Zen's obviously a great one as well. But to me, you know, just find what inspires you and right. make an effort, you know, to mm-hmm. connect with that. What about you, Claudia? So I um I just signed up for another little course with Joseph Goldstein. Mm-hmm. So Joseph Goldstein is somebody that is near and dear to me. It's going to be a four-week course with him where you get to ask him questions. Nice. Ooh, what are you going to ask him? I don't know yet. <laughs> I don't know. What, what kind of cereals do you like in the morning, Joseph? <laughs> right. yeah, that's you know really deep, meaningful questions like that. So uh-huh. Joseph Goldstein is somebody in my world, and so is Andrea Fella and Gil Fronsel. Mm. Over at the um, Audio Dharma website, Insight Meditation Society out in Bay Area, I really, I really like Gil and Andrea. I've probably listened to Andrea for over ten years now, and there's thousands of recordings on their website, and some really uh, wonderful teachers there, not just them. So that's that's you know, and now obviously with the with the clinical background. I've I've started reading some Dr. Mark Epstein and seeing Mm -hmm. his insights right there. Mm -hmm. My mentor, he's 78 years old. And I ask him, like, do you watch, do you you read anymore? You know, and for him, it's Kushiamuti. Like, that's like his Mm go-to. But he says that he doesn't really, for him, it's like about like letting go of stuff, of more content. Yeah. For him, it's like, I don't want more. I just want to practice what I have. Yes. And that's how he, to this day, he practices the body scan every day. Mm. 
You know what you're reminding me of, Claudio, are the the attitudes, the foundational attitudes mm-hmm. of mindfulness. I'm curious, um, Dr. Sears, how often, it, it, maybe this is a beginner thing. I'm curious if it's also an expert or a guru or um, a seasoned practitioner thing. How often do you go back to the foundational attitudes as defined by JKZ back in the day? I don't know that I ever do, except for the fact that I'm teaching all the time. So I sort of refresh it in my own mind as right. I try to communicate it with others. But, you know, you really reach a point, and I have to be careful how to express this because mm-hmm. it can sound a little arrogant. But, you know, you, you reach a point where you embody this stuff. You don't have to read it or take somebody else's word for it. You experience it by being present, you know, and I don't know if this is an appropriate analogy or not, but it's like, you know, teenagers talking about sex and then you experience it. It's just different. (laughs) And when you've experienced it, you know, you can talk about it, but you know, the talking is not the experiencing of it. Um, Now, having said that, what can happen is you can get your own idea of what it is and then get stuck in this idea and then try to force it on other people and, you know, create Mm -hmm. problems that way too. But if you're really just paying attention and it takes a lot of courage and honesty with yourself, you know, you'll just see things how you are. And guess what? Now you're no longer hooked, caught up by somebody else's, well, you need to do this to be better. You know, you need to listen to this person to feel good about yourself. You know, it, it all comes from within you. And of course, as a human being, you desire approval and connection, but you don't depend on it at that point. Yeah, I think it was Gil Fronstel who said this in one of his talks. It was something I'm going to paraphrase it, but he said that when you are a beginner, in reference to mindfulness, he says, when you are a beginner, it is your responsibility to recognize that you are a beginner. Hmm. But when you are an experienced meditator, it is your responsibility to always regard yourself as a beginner. Oh, yes. Yeah. You know, it's fascinating. I, uh, I gave a, a workshop at a big national convention, the American Psychological Association. In the title, it said, An Introduction and Overview of Mindfulness-Based Cognitive Therapy. So I'll get this big audience. And then I look at the reviews later. And, you know, there were people that saying, well, this was too basic. I already knew all this stuff. Right. right? And they'd only been practicing a year or two. <laughs> And then I had people said, I've been doing mindfulness for 40 years and I learned so much from this Mm. workshop. You know, Mm. it strikes me this, I already know that stuff. Well, (laughs) every moment is new and different and it's not a comparison anyway. You know, for me, I, I love this platform the podcast platform and what Lance has done with the awesome mindfulness center. For me, this is like such an awesome opportunity to talk with insightful intelligent you know awesome people around about mindfulness and i know that there are things that i like i there's nuggets that you give that you don't even know that you're giving them but you give them to me and i'm like oh that's a that's a pearl mm-hmm. right there mm-hmm. so that's that's my attitude yeah and i appreciate that because i know both of you know a lot of things but you've been very humble and you ask really good questions you know you set me up for the slam dunks for <laughs> questions you already know and and i've really appreciated that about the mindfulness 
community. I mean, there's always human beings that have their issues that they haven't worked out or whatever. But in general, ten people tend to be very gracious. And in fact, that first book I wrote, Mindfulness and Clinical Practice, I'm a little embarrassed. It has two um, forwards and it has like 20 um, endorsements. And it's because I figured if I send out 20 invitations, maybe three people will actually respond to me and have mm-hmm. time and write an endorsement. And almost everybody, you know, gave up their time. You know, Alan Marlat, who's a big name in the addictions field, I later on found out he died three months after he wrote the endorsement for that book. So this is mm. maybe one of the few things he was doing in his final. I was just so Man. unbelievably touched at just how generous people in this field could be. Of course, they can also set boundaries because lately people have been retired and say, sorry, I don't do that anymore. I'm playing with my kids or grandkids or whatever. Yeah, of course. <laughs> So as we wrap up today's episode and ultimately this season, can we ask you to perhaps dig deep and find a nugget of wisdom that you haven't already shared with us over the last several months that we've been talking to you? And again, we're looking for nuggets of wisdom for off the cushion. I would say... Keep in mind, you know, write it down, put it next to your computer, just this moment. Because no matter what's happening, that's a good anchor point. If you're going through a crisis, if you're worried about something bad happening, I'm just in this moment. Now, it doesn't mean you're not going to deal with it or plan, but I'm just going to take this moment as it's unfolding. Guess what? It could also be the most wonderful moment. You know, I remember a time being on the beaches of Hawaii and my with my wife and daughter and there was a sea turtle. You know, you could only get within 10 feet. So she got right up 10 feet away, <laughs> stood there and posed for a picture in this gorgeous blue sky. And, you know, it would have been easy to be like, oh gosh, well, after this, we got to go to the next place and let's hurry up and take a picture and I hope that picture, you know, just this moment. So no matter what you're doing, whether it's good, bad, all the so-called mundane tasks in between, just this moment.